Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with Lori Taylor. Lori is a senior counsel in Foley's Chicago office with a litigation practice focused on a wide range of matters, including securities disputes, product liability defense, and commercial contract disputes. In this discussion, like every episode of The Path and the Practice, we cover a lot of territory. We start with Lori reflecting on life growing up in Palatine, Illinois, which included a difficult diagnosis as a child and dealing with scoliosis. And she then takes us through the various activities she did in school and ultimately what her decision-making process was for college, which for her, there was only one choice, the University of Missouri, Columbia, because she knew that she wanted to be a journalism major. So you will learn how about for four years, Lori, as she calls it, was a one-man band doing all things that one does when they are on-air talent as a journalist. Lori then talks about how she then decided she did not want to go on to be a reporter and instead found herself working in the securities industry for a number of years before deciding to attend law school at Northwestern. Lori also does a wonderful job at reflecting on what it was like to attend law school during the Great Recession and in particular the impact that had on on on-campus interviewing as well as her experience starting at a law firm. She talks about how litigation actually wasn't her first choice, but that she's glad she ended up here because she does love being a litigator. Lori also gives us some insight into her current practice, and I would say an overall theme of Lori's podcast is also what it's like being a black woman lawyer in big law. She weaves that in throughout our discussion. Then we end our discussion with Lori giving some really great advice on the importance of taking a moment to breathe, to pause, and to trust that things really will work out for the best. I hope you enjoy my discussion with Lori Taylor. Lori, welcome to the podcast. I'm going to have you start these like all of my guests start, which is, can you give your professional introduction? Okay. Well, thank you for having me. My name's Lori Taylor. I'm a senior counsel in the Chicago office of Foley and Lardner. I have been practicing law for, it'll be 10 years, February 2022, sworn in November 2011. I work in the litigation department. I do products liability, some securities litigation, and then just general litigation. All right. So we're going to unpack all that, but not right now, which is how this podcast always works. I get the lawyers to say all this stuff. And I was like, but I don't want to talk about it yet. What I want to do is figure out how it is you're able to introduce yourself as that today. So let's start somewhat at the beginning, which is where are you from? Where did you grow up? Okay. I'm from Palatine, Illinois, which is a suburb, northwest suburb of Chicago, born and raised there. Okay, so give me a snapshot. If I say found you in like fifth or sixth grade, what's life like? What are what are you into? You know, that whole like, if you had to say like, what type of kid were you? Uh, fifth grade, it's interesting that you picked that age. I was having my first back surgery. I have scoliosis. And in fifth grade, I had to have surgery where they 
did the incision, broke my back, and then had to take bone from other places, reconstruct it. So I was out of school for a couple of months and ended up having one of my classmates, I played basketball at the time. And so one of my classmates who also was on the basketball team with me, her mother was a substitute teacher. And so she's like, hey, my mom could probably um, sub and tutor you at home Um, because I didn't want to have to repeat fifth grade and be separated from all of my friends. So that's what I did and ended up having to do all of my schoolwork plus any kind of extra credit to make up all of the time that I was out on medical leave. So I was able to stay with my classmates, ended up getting straight A's. So I was a hard worker, (laughs) very determined, kind of like now. But I loved fun-loving and, like now, love to throw parties. <laughs> so, my birthday parties were always epic. <laughs> okay, I have to ask more about the birthday parties, but I have to say, just so the listeners know, you know, I, I did not know what I was going to elicit when I asked that question because, you know, I, I ask everyone about the, you know, tell me what kind of kid you were circa middle school. But of course, was not aware of that. But yes, yeah, so you were out for most of the fifth grade. Were you able to return for sixth grade? Yes. Yeah, so I... Oh, goodness. How did this go? Because, you know, I'm like tapping my brain. It's like, yeah, sorry. I I don't know why this is where Um, we've landed. But now I'm going to ask about it. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. So I it's weird what you remember, right, from growing up. I had had this is a little tangential, but we'll get back to it. So I was playing intramurals basketball and it was the we were the junior pirates because I went to Palatine High School and that's the pirates. So we were the junior pirates. And I was playing, we would play all over the Chicagoland area and like in, and in Chicago, we'd play it like usually it was Catholic churches in their gyms. So that's where we would play. And I had had this really great game. Like I remember I stole the ball and I like was dribbling it, you know, and I like, I remember throw uh, like doing a layup and I, it hit off the backboard and I was like, oh man, I hit it too hard. Like this is going to be, it's not going to go in. And then it like, it went in. I was like, yeah, <laughs> it was so great. So I had this great game and then I had to tell, we had to tell my coach, you know, she has to have back surgery. And so she's going to lose a year. She's going to be out. And he was just like devastated. He's like, that's just going to put her behind. And it did. Like I never was able to recover in that, in that respect with, with the sport, but still played it. Unlike academics, I was able to recover. So that goes to show like I was athletic, but not, I was never going to be your starter or like your like, like a Michael Jordan or anything like that. That was never happening. So I did that. And I did the first part of the school year. And then I had, my doctor had told me, and I was at Children's Memorial Hospital, which doesn't even exist anymore. He had wanted to have the surgery after Christmas so I could have a normal Christmas. And at the time I was (laughs) so concerned about what the scar would look like. I was like, oh my God, there's gonna, I'm going to have a scar. What's it going to look like? And I did gymnastics too. I was no Simone Biles, but, you know, I could do a round off, you know, I could do a back bend, I could do handstands, balance. I like the disclaimer. Like that's what we have. Just (laughs) know I wasn't as good as Simone Biles, but like I could, I could do stuff. (laughs) I could do a little stuff, you know? So that was upsetting because then I was going to lose my ability to arch my back and do all those things I like to do. But I was so concerned about the scar and we had the surgery. It was in January. So I had had the first part of fifth grade, had the surgery. And it, my mother told me I was going to feel like a Mack truck had hit me. She was correct. That was the worst pain. I still remember it all this time later. Uh, I had to learn how to walk again. It was, um, it was a lot. It was a lot for a little kid to have to, to do. 
And at the time, you don't think you're so little and you're like, okay, I'll be fine. You know, I've got this. But looking back now as an adult, it was a lot. But I was able to go back to school. I think I was off for January, February. I remember my classmates, I came into the school and they made like a giant heart for me of all these different Valentines. And I had a brace I had to wear. I had to have it sculpted to my body. So I had to wear that for nine months. So I think I came back to school it was March, so I think I was out for two months, but I couldn't do gym, couldn't do like the fun stuff of school, right? I was still able to do chorus and band. I played, I played alto sax. And by sixth grade, I was just, I think I started back at, with sports sometime. I started basketball again sometime in sixth grade and just like kept it going. So I, I just like, I took a lick in and kept on ticking. <laughs> well, and through this, through you sharing about that experience, we've also picked up a lot of information about other sports and interests <laughs> that you had. Um, and I will say with the birthday parties, does that translate to, as an adult? Are you one of those people who's like, it's my birthday month? Do you go yes. go big on birthdays still? Yes. I oh, you know what? Ever I, when I was having, I was having a, a come to Jesus about turning 40. So in the years leading up to 40, I hadn't been doing as many. So I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be 40. But up until then, I was pretty good about having like party. Like, I think when I was like, when I was younger, I'd have like relay races. There'd be like slumber parties. And I would have like, back in the day, you'd have a boom box and you can make a mixtape. And I would tape recorded off the radio and pl- play a little bit of the song. And then the friends had to guess what song that was. And then you'd win some cool prize. Like, I would have like major sleepovers with like, balloon fight like water balloon fights and i have a summer birthday that's like, the I, best you're killing you're I killing me with it. the uh with the tape corded <laughs> off the radio so for some people listening they just nodded along or like i remember that and then some other people are horrified but i we i definitely was you had to press record at the exact right moment because you didn't want to catch the radio dj speaking you only wanted the song and then you had to stop it at the right moment so it was a skill we developed but anyway i will keep moving we will move forward okay so let's say you're in i don't know late high school, or whenever it is that someone starts thinking about college, what was that process like for you? And where did you go? Okay, well, growing up, I'd always wanted to be I've always been a writer, I love to write, tell stories. Um, That's just like was always a passion of mine. And I loved TV. And so growing up, I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. Um, So that's, that's what I, I always I don't know when I decided, maybe like at nine or 10, that's what I wanted to do. So by the time I got to high school, um, I was on the newspaper, of course, ended up being editor-in-chief of the newspaper. And a family friend had told us about the University of Missouri-Columbia because he knew that I was very interested in broadcast journalism. And it was, at the time, it was number one for journalism, top ranked. Yay, Mizzou Mafia, little shout out there. So <laughs> we went down with my mom and probably my dad to go visit. And I, I liked the campus. It was very idyllic, like in my imagination, what I thought college would be. It's a small college town. And then we went to the NBC News affiliate because that's associated with the university and saw that. And I, I got to do a, a shadow shift. So I got to go out with one of the reporters. I really liked that. So I decided, okay, that's where I want to go. So it's the only place Sorry, I applied to. But that's amazing. You got to do that as a part of visiting the school. You had to shadow a reporter. Uh-huh. Because the reporters, the NBC uh, is affiliated with the university. Because it's, tell me if I'm wrong, isn't it kind of like the journalism school for broadcast? Yes. And I don't know much about this and a couple things because you called it Columbia, but so it's the University of Missouri, Columbia. And what little I know about broadcast journalism, what little I know 
is that when you are listening to your you know local news and they all basically sound the same, right? Because there's that standard news mm-hmm. anchor accent. That's because they all kind of went to the same school. <laughs> and so, so I mean, I don't know if that's literally true, but there are there's only a handful of places for that that do that local news or national news polish the way they speak, and that that's why they all sound the same. So that's what little I have to contribute to this. But go on. <laughs> so that's where you went, and you focused on broadcast journalism, presumably. Yes, yes, that's where I went. Only school I applied to, and what went that's. That's that. <laughs> so that was pretty definitive. But we know you're not on the news right now or working in journalism. No. So we have some we have a gap to close here. So <laughs> what what happens? You go, you focus on that. How, actually, briefly, what was the experience like? And then what happened? What Then what's next? So what was it like being at Mizzou or mm-hmm. being in the, the J school at Mizzou? Yep. Well, interesting fun fact, there were more African-Americans at Mizzou than I was used to because I grew up in Palatine, which at the time was predominantly Caucasian. So I think there might have been, I graduated with 500 plus students in my senior class, maybe five or six of us were African American. So going to Mizzou, it was like, oh, wow, there's a ton of African American, for me, a ton. Still not a lot. Actually, I had a similar (laughs) experience, though. I had a very similar experience. And it can also be interesting when you've had that experience of being one of few, you know, black students in a school. And even if you're still in a predominantly white institution, if it has more black folks than where you came from, <laughs> it still feels a lot different. And, you know, we could talk for hours, I think, about that experience, but I can I can relate to what you just said. Yeah. So that was a new thing for me. And I was in the marching Mizzou. So, so I did marching band the first year of the Utsal Sax. So that, you know, that shaped my experience as well. The J School really enjoyed that. During college is when I had my second back surgery. And so I had to have a medical leave. I had just gotten into the J school, got in on the first try. I was so proud of myself and then (laughs) had to go on medical leave. And I thought I'd be back in school in two weeks. I'm like, oh, I can make up two weeks. Ended up being the whole semester. So ended up coming back in January. So was out over the out that like first semester came back in January and the school was really great. Um, They held my scholarship because one of those you had to be like consecutive semesters. So they allowed me to hold the scholarship, let me go back, go into the J school, like, you know, so did that. And so I'd work shit, like you worked shifts. I was a one man band reporter, as I call it. So back in the day, I, the cameras were huge. So I had to carry this big camera, big tripod. I had to have enough battery packs because the battery wasn't going to last that long. And so you're slapping all of this equipment. And then you have to set it up, do the white balance, you know, focus everything and shoot and do B-roll. So <laughs> I was doing all of that. And this is just, a, this is a round school covering things uh, what, what, or what, who's, 50 mile what's it for? Radius. Like we were the NBC affiliate for Mid-Missouri. That's amazing. So I'm a reporter. So That's amazing. For, for NBC, do, doing live shots. I did live shots in the snow, in rain. <laughs> I, I covered tornado damage, like with storms in Jeff City, Jefferson City, Missouri. I was a reporter. <laughs> I had no idea. And by the way, this is why probably you know and listeners, that's why I love this show. Because, you know, we could see each other, interact with each other at Foley for the next five or ten years. And I would literally have no reason to know this or to get this stories from you, but go on. Okay. So, so you're, so I did that. And I also did, you know, that you probably, you guys have seen this or heard this. Um, if you watch the today show, Al Roker says, that's what's going on here. Now here, what's going like your neck of the woods, something like that. And they do a cut into your local news. So I was the cut in. 
So in mid-Missouri, you'd get me. And I would run off, you know, what was going on. And then I'd, you know, you'd kick it back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did, so I was also, I did um, weekend anchoring, morning show anchoring, and then I also did producing. So I learned how to do a lot. <laughs> and you had to edit your own tape too. You All of this, right? Like you said, one man, one man show, one woman show. And then at some point you graduate. Yes. So then what happens? So I, I realized while in school that although I had always wanted to be a broadcast journalist, and that was my dream, the dreams aren't always <laughs> what you think they will be. And I was like, this is not for me. Like, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Honorable profession, great profession. I still consider myself to be a journalist, but... I knew probably my junior, partway through my junior year, like, okay, no, but I'm in there. I mean, I'm on scholarship. I, I got to go. So I'm sticking with it. So. I mean, and you developed all these skills. Like you said, you could knew how to carry a heavy camera and gather the battery packs and check your and weight I balance. And I learned how to do, like, you know, cut video, do voiceovers and edit my own packages. So like, you know, the news packages, I could do the audio, video all the editing, linear and nonlinear. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I'm seeing I'm seeing seeds being planted actually throughout what you've said that I'm certain translate into your practice, but we will get there. So you graduate, you've decided you're you don't want to pursue what what the next thing would be to stay at least with this type of journalism. So what did you do? What happens next? I decided I wanted to go back home. So I came back to to the Chicagoland area and ended up working at Scudder Investments, um, which is the mutual arm of Deutsche Bank. <laughs> and I got my securities licenses, so my six and 63, and people would call in and I would be the person that they would talk to, like the uh, brokers, and I would place trades for them and tell them about our products, like mutual funds, like large cap value funds. And that's what I did. <laughs> And I thought, okay, maybe I'll be a, a broker dealer. <laughs> yeah. So how long did you do that? And then, so when does law school come onto the scene? Yep. Still not at law school. <laughs> so yeah. I did that for a year. And then it was unbeknownst to us, it was a precursor to the recession. They closed down the entire office. And I remember it was interesting because HR, they brought us all into this room and they said, you know, we're going to be shutting down the Chicago office. They were relocating operations to Kansas City and they were getting rid of everyone. And HR was like, they never get rid of HR. They're getting rid of us too. Like, oh my wow. God. It's like everyone. <laughs> Serious. They shut so, it down. They shut it down, and which was fine for me because I had realized, you know, it doesn't take long. I'm like, okay, this isn't, this isn't for me. So I ended up working at JP Morgan Chase and I ended up doing technical writing for manuals, which I wanted to be able to keep my securities licenses, but because I wasn't doing securities work anymore, they wouldn't hold them for me. So I lost my licenses, which was. Yeah. What are technical manuals? <laughs> so if ever you were to call in and let's say you had a car payment or if you back then it was any kind of payment, like a phone payment, anything like that, and you have a difficulty in the in the um, the IVF system, the system where it's automated system, sorry, the automated system, then you would roll out and you get a CSR, customer service representative, or a CSA, customer service agent. And they would have to know how to service you and help you. And if it was a, in the case of like um, 
We used to do this thing for New York State dealing with tax payments, I think it was. The associates had to know how to help someone if they rolled out, how to use the platform itself and like different buttons to hit and, and how to navigate. And so I wrote the manuals teaching them how to do that. Wow. I'm glad I asked you that, though, because I, I was like, yeah, technical <laughs> manuals. That's what you wrote. Totally. I, I had no idea. So how long did you do that? And, and then what? I'm just saying, I'm keeping, I'm pushing because there could be some other interesting things in here before law school. Let's see what happens. I did that for two years and then I went to law school. Okay. So how does law school even come on the scene? Why did you decide to go? Well, interesting enough, a lot of journalists do become lawyers. <laughs> and and my, my college roommate, she went straight from undergrad to law school. And so, and I knew a couple of other people who had done the same thing. So I'm working at Chase. I'm doing the technical manuals. It's writing, but it's not my dream job, right? And I had a cousin who had gone to law school, was now a practicing attorney. And I was like, wow, I was looking at what she was doing. I'm like, that seems interesting. I like to learn. I like learning new things. And I, it seemed like it was something that, you know, I started asking questions that would give me a lot of different options, having a law degree. And so I decided, okay, you know, that's something I want to pursue. So while I was working at Chase, I started taking Kaplan. Is that what it's? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a, so, so an the, LSAT prep. Yeah, for the LSAT. All right. So you do that. And I know you said you wanted to come back home. So you're in Illinois. So I can make some guesses as to how or why you decided to go to Northwestern. But how did you decide what, what law school to go to? Well, I had heard that first year of law school was brutal and I wanted to be close to home. And so Northwestern was my dream school because it's close to home. My parents were in the suburbs and I was in the city, but you know, that's not far, especially when you're from the area. I really liked the fact that they um, had an older class base because I wasn't straight through. So I wasn't going to be surrounded by people in their early twenties. Although in hindsight, like I was in my twenties, it would have been fine. But like, I, <laughs> I know you're time, like in hindsight, I was four to five years older, but so <laughs> exactly. But at the time, it seemed like a big deal. It felt like a lot then. <laughs> it did. Yeah. And, and I liked that they interviewed their students. Um, you got not interviewed their student, the applicants, and it just I just liked the feel of it. It had like a collegial, happy feel, even though it's law school. And so that was my top choice. So you get in, you go, and this is, I, I like asking our current attorneys how they found their law school experience because, you know, we get law students listening and I think it's heartening to hear somebody who's now been practicing almost a decade say what it was like for them, you know, to the extent you remember. So what was it, what was it like? Was it easy? Was it hard? How was it? The first year of law school was hard. I'm like, no joke. I had up until that point, I had gotten all A's since junior high school, then come to law school. My first semester, I got no A's. I'm pretty sure there were no A's on my report card. <laughs> so that was an adjustment. <laughs> a little reality um, check. Yeah, a big reality check. So I mean, but I, I loved law school. I made some really great friends. I had so much fun. We, it was kind of like, First year is a hazing. I wasn't, I've never been in a sorority, but I feel like that's, if I had been in one, maybe that'd be similar. So you become very bonded because you go through this process together. So, you know, your misery loves company and like all the rest of you are kind of like miserable as you go through that first year. <laughs> but then like after you get past that and then you go through OCI and then you end up getting a, a summer associate position and then it's like, okay. And like second and third years of law school were great. <laughs> 
Yep, that's right. And that's why there, I mean, we won't go too far into this, but when you talk to law students about, I don't know, their network and, you know, who's going to be important to you in 10 years from now, chances are it's going to be some people you went to law school with, right? Because you get so close from that shared experience. And I think skipping way ahead, you know, say you're a law firm lawyer or you're a law firm junior associate and you're like, one day I want to develop business. Chances are your business would be that person who sat next to you in law school versus you getting to know the current general counsel of that organization. <laughs> so it's just interesting that that you're right. There's definitely that shared camaraderie. But I've had a handful of people on the show say that law school maybe wasn't the most difficult thing. My preference, and I try not to be too leading, my preference is when people are like, yeah, it was hard. Because I think most people find it hard. And it just helps those who are in it right now know that they're, you can get through it. You know, one day you will be a decade into your career saying the same thing, but for now, just get through law school. So you mentioned OCI, and you know, I can make some assumptions based on you being at Foley now, but what was that process like? Did you know that, you know, a large law firm was where you were headed? How did how did you navigate that? My friends in law school always uh, made fun of me or joked with me because I was always the one that knew that I wanted to work in big law. Like I got loans to pay off. You like, you know, that that was my mentality. And I had like a lot of my friends were not like that was not their their thinking or maybe they didn't know. But I I knew that's what I wanted to do. So what was the second part of the question? Yeah. So so you knew going you knew going in large law firms. So for you, it was clearly I'm going to do on campus interviews. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to hope, you know, I'm going to find a firm and, and that's that. So what was, what was that? And without getting too into detail, but just a little bit about like, so how did you connect with Foley through that, that process or what caused you to choose Foley? Okay. So when I was a first year, Foley was a big presence on campus. I just remember like this big banner and it said Foley and they had a diversity scholarship and a lot of the upperclassmen like uh, had good things to say about it, the diverse, you know, upperclassmen. And so I was like, okay, this seems like a firm that really cares about diversity. That's something very important to me as African-American woman. That's somewhere I'd like to to be. So I remember trying to, you know, trying to network and trying to get on there. And then during OCI, <laughs> I did OCI during the recession. So <laughs> this is a different experience. <laughs> and And all of that is sort of happening your first year. I'm trying to line up that 08, 09, but things were actually, I assume things were sort of one way when you started law school and they changed as you were in law school. Yes. Things were one way, like the beginning of law school. And then you're seeing the upperclassmen, like offers being rescinded, people being deferred, just mayhem as you're going through. And that's adding to the pressure of the first year and trying to make sure you have really good grades and and all of that, right? So when I did OCI, it the carnage was not over. <laughs> and I remember like a lot of us, we'd be like all my classmates, we'd interview somewhere, right? And then like 10 minutes later, we'd all get a rejection email. Thank you so much for your interest in it. And we'd all be like, oh, we'd all just get it. It's like, oh, did you get that one? Yeah, I got that one too. <laughs> just was like, because the summer classes were slashed. So That's it was right. Very, and it was all happening in real time. Yeah, yeah. like as as you're interviewing the firms, I'm sure we're making this decision. And it's, it's just interesting for those, particularly if you're in law school now, that it's like, I don't think either of us are being overly dramatic about what it was like during that great recession era. And it really, 
impacted the industry in a way that I think it's relevant for people to understand now, because when that was happening with, you know, on-campus interviews, you know, similarly difficult things and layoffs were happening within large law firms. And there was maybe a little bit of a rant about this, but like, so I'm a couple years ahead of you in terms of law school. So I started practicing in 2008. Oh. Um, and yeah, so April 2008, actually, and I got a, maybe like close to a year before the world changed with I think it was 09 with like Lehman and all of that. But what you saw were particularly and I was a litigator, but you saw like very robust corporate groups have nothing to do, right? Because there was no credit, things weren't being, you know, purchased, you saw bankruptcy explode. And as a person, like a brand new first year, I guess that point, second year, that was just like, oh my gosh, please let me stay here and keep learning. But it impacted legal because after the legal rebounded, I would say, I don't know, call it three years later, firms were like, where's my corporate mid-level? And they didn't have any, right? Because (laughs) they they were, so like you could see how these things impact. But anyway, okay. So it was a a stressful time to do on-campus interviews was what I'm hearing. Yes. It was a stressful time, but you'd heard good things about Foley. And hopefully we circle back to some of the stuff about the diverse law students and focus on diversity because given my role at the firm, you can imagine some, Mm -hmm. I'm interested to hear about (laughs) that. But it it did work out with Foley and Lardner giving you an offer. Yes. Is what what I'm assuming. (laughs) Yes, I got an offer. Yes, I was very fortunate, very blessed. Yes. So you decided to join Foley as a as a 2L summer associate. Yes. Okay. I'm going to speed through your summer because I've had summers on who actually talk about what being a summer's like. So how did you figure out what practice group? How did that work? Oh, okay. Well, it circles back to it's the recession. So when I went to law school, I did not want to be a litigator because I didn't want to have to go to court. I didn't want to have to talk in front of people that I was just like, so... I'll do whatever it is. It's not that. <laughs> but you were a journalism major. What? Okay, go on. <laughs> I know, I know, but it, it's it's different. It's different because you know the TVs. You you just have a camera, whereas like in court, there's eyes on you. <laughs> okay, okay, you can edit. You can do retakes. I feel you. Okay, but keep yeah, going. Yeah. So that was my. So I was like, okay, I won't do trial ad, any of that stuff. Maybe evidence, depending on you know. I know it's on the bar, but that was my thought process. Well, recession happens. I'm looking for a position. I really like Foley and Foley's um, Chicago office at the time was big litigation. So it's like, okay, I need a job. I like this firm, the job's in litigation. I'm practical. Okay. (laughs) so That's how I ended up in litigation. But that's also, but that's a really real thing that certainly applied in during the Great Recession when there were less opportunities. But I think, and I'm just kind of like trying to extract even more of the value for the law students listening. I think law students can forget that we do have to hire based on demand within our practice areas. So while it is really important that you figure out what area you're most suited to, the reality is that sometimes firms will say, but here's where we really have need, right? And that still happens today. So I just think sometimes students will forget about that. Okay, so, and you've stuck with it, right? We're almost a decade in. So there's a, there's a couple, I'm trying to figure out how I wanna dissect this because we're not gonna go like obviously year by year. Um, but could you reflect, actually, I know what I wanna do first. Could you reflect on some of those, the early years? Just what was it like learning to be a litigator and, and, and how was it at Foley doing that? So for me, I I was deferred. 
So there was, the class wasn't that big. I think there was three of us that ended up starting in Chicago. One IP, two litigation, all of us female, and all of us from different law schools. So my, the other litigator, she was able to start basically on time because there was an attorney that wanted to work with her. They pulled her in. And so she starts on time. So I didn't start until February of 2012. So that's when I get brought in. There's still not a lot of work to be had. I'm going in with the lens of I'm African-American, I'm female. This is a male-dominated white profession. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's what's this going to be like? Yeah. Well, I, I guess having grown up the way I grew up in a predominantly white, you know, environment with the suburbs and schools, et cetera, I had a feeling as I, it wasn't one of those I'm not familiar with, with interacting mm-hmm. with Caucasian people. You know the environment. Um, know the environment, but, you know, I, I'm not, my first time being a lawyer, you know, so I, I, what I did a lot of going around door to door asking for work, a lot of just sitting in the office, just trying to do like CLEs or what have you. And it just wasn't, it took, a, it took a while to get my, to start getting work, to start getting traction. Which, which can happen in general as a first year, but especially given when you were starting what was happening in the world. So yeah. Yes. And I felt a lot of um, pressure to be perfect because I felt like there wasn't a lot of leeway as African-American women to, to make mistakes. And I think, you know, we've learned about that now with like unconscious bias, et cetera. And I was aware of that. And I just, as African-American women, you always, or I was taught that you have to work two times harder. Mm-hmm. And so I went into it with the mentality that I have to work two times harder. I can't make mistakes. Like I need to be perfect. I need to be there early, stay late and work. So that that's what I did. And it worked out for me, but that that was a it was a lot. Yep, yep. Just closing the gap, the timing. All there's a lot. We don't even have the time to unpack the different <laughs> threads that are in that. But I think when you say that, that does speak to speak to a lot of people. So what is it that has kept you litigating? By the way, have you found? Have you found? This is a weird question, but have you found that the journalism background helped? Because ultimately, you know, it wasn't it wasn't your first pick but you've stuck with it. Are there parts of litigation that you, you know, that you have learned to enjoy? Yes. I mean, um, that's what I was, that's what I was going to say previously, that ultimately it it worked out for the best and it was the best fit for me. And I got thrust into court (laughs) as a first year (laughs) or like a second year. And uh, I was in state court, which is less formal than federal court. And it was a nice way to ease into it. Um, and it ended up being, being fine. And I, and I realized, okay, this is okay. And it's just like anything else, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Plus I love to write and I love analysis and strategy and that's all part of litigation. So it, I ended up enjoying it, ended up being a good fit. (laughs) So it works out for the best. Also, when you mentioned state versus federal court, for those who don't know, sometimes state court gets called more so like the wild, wild west than federal court, because state court is where sometimes eyebrow raising things will happen that just wouldn't happen in front of a federal judge. So so I appreciate you saying it was more informal. And so you kind of, you know, had the opportunity to figure it out. And then for you, of course, I'm talking to you today as a senior counsel. So for those who don't know, at Foley, we go from associate to senior counsel to partner with, I think for many, that senior counsel role is, I'd say, most akin to sort of that, that non-equity or income partner that you'll hear at our our peer firms. So of course, after those initial years, you know, you definitely have figured it out and been successful 
at it. Could you speak a little bit about your practice area focus and just say a little bit about what that is in in litigation? Sure. I don't have a specialty per se. I am a secondary member of the securities litigation group, which I thought was something it was something I wanted to go into with my securities licenses and I thought it'd be a good marriage of the two. But I, I ended up doing a lot of product liability work for one of the firm's largest clients. And that has been interesting and it has taught me a lot and I've gotten a lot of experiences with it. And so in a way that's become my specialty, product liability. <laughs> Well, and here's a question that I'm just going to come out and say this because I I can relate given, you know, as a fellow black woman lawyer, although I don't practice anymore. But as you know, and you've talked a lot about, you know, being a black woman in big law, we don't see a lot of folks who look like you. What has kept you, it's a mix of like, what has kept you at Foley and practicing? And the reason I ask this is because we know the stats show that after about seventh year, Black women aren't in large law firms anymore. Like generally speaking, a lot of us have left. So what about Foley, what about Foley and Lardner has kept you? Or and there might be some other things. So I'm not even sure if I'm asking it the right way, but I but I yeah. but I do want to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know the the Chicago office has a, every office of Foley has its own I say um, personality or culture, and I really like the culture of the Chicago office, and I really like the people. I know that I could have gone elsewhere. You have the headhunters calling and it made more money, um, gotten bigger bonuses, all of that. But uh, having worked before law school, I knew how important it was to have coworkers that you really liked and you could call friends and people you could depend on. And when life throws you curveballs that who care about you and will support you. And that that's invaluable. Um, and to me, that's more important than money. So that's why I've stayed so long because I really like the people. I got to do get to do interesting work, and um, I have a great support system. Yeah, I love that you said that. And this is where I feel like listeners will think I gave you a script because I would say about eighty percent of the guests, if we get to this subject, they talk about the people, and I think it's this really it's an intangible thing that can be hard to explain to someone who hasn't worked at the firm, but perhaps as people listen to the podcast and they keep hearing everyone say it without me prompting them. Um, maybe they maybe they will believe it. And then also, I, I think what you said, that experience you've gained. And also, I've loved how we have picked up securities. We have picked up the journalism and to how it relates to your current practice. So there was a method to all of it in terms of the credentialing you you got um, before you came to the firm. You know, and as we as we wind down, I'm going to say this is, this is two questions, but you only really need to answer the second one. But the first question is, is there anything you wanted to talk about or highlight that we haven't touched on? And then after that, if not, um, what is your overall advice to either that law student or to someone early in their legal career? This is interesting because I was just talking with someone um, <laughs> who's thinking of going to law school, and she was asking me all these questions, and I was on the phone for about an hour, um, and I was trying to, you know, she she's a little pre as to what you're asking your question. She's like wanting to go to law school. And she was very, she had a lot of stress in her voice and like, what about this? And what if it's not a T14 or a top 14 and all these things. And I was just trying to tell her, you know, oh, she's like, what if I, do I have to go straight through? And I was like, 
take a deep breath, relax, like relax. And I know it's hard for you to do. When I was in your situation, I wouldn't have relaxed either. I didn't. But in hindsight, I would tell Lori, who was 10 years younger, relax. It's all going to work out. You're smart. um, You're hardworking. If you're smart and hardworking, have a good head on your shoulders, it's going to work out. And I know it doesn't seem like it, (laughs) but, but try and try. Yeah. Well, this level of, and this doesn't sound so weird to the type A people. So like you just said, sort of bear with me as I say this, but this level of be where you are. So you do need to plan. You do need to know your next step. But I've talked to law students where I'm like, okay, you have covered your plan to find the firm, do whatever specialty at the firm, leave the firm, go and like you've told me the plan (laughs) for the next 15 years that you seem to be obsessing about, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, But you've already planned the exit from the firm you haven't identified that you haven't started at. (laughs) So there's part of it that's like, just step step back just a little bit. But I think that I think that take a breath. It's going to be fine. Trust in your abilities. You can I think that's good insight that actually maybe all of us need. We all should take that advice. Even if we're I not. should still take that advice. It's it's hard. It's easier to give it to, than to actually practice it. But I have to even 10 years and still say that to myself. I'm like, you've got this. <laughs> It's going to be well, and what I love, and I see this in most of the episodes, but also the things really do work out. And the story that you just shared shows us because even the things that maybe you were like, I don't know why I've gotten a securities license or I'm writing technical manuals or how at the time you thought you knew you were going to do it with journalism, but all of those things have very much culminated into the you know tremendous skill set you bring now. So things things will work out. And I will say the technical manuals. That has been so valuable. The technical manuals have been so valuable because I learned how to do table of contents, how to do links, how to clean a doc. It 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 saved so much time. It, that was the almost like one of the best skills <laughs> I picked it was, up. <laughs> it was it was brief writing. You were writing briefs before you were writing briefs. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, but with that, Lori, yes. I will just thank you so much for being on the show. And my final, final question is, if a listener has comments or questions and wants to reach out to you, can they feel free to find you on Foley's website and send you an email? Yes, of course. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Lori. Bye. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Lori Taylor. I'm here with a bit of an update, which is that as of February 2023, Lori has decided to leave Foley and focus on starting a new business, Panda Rose Publishing, LLC. The company focuses on publishing children's books with African-American main characters that are written by African-American authors. For more on Panda Rose Publishing, go to pandarosepublishing.com. And of course, after 11 years with Foley, we are so excited that Lori is focusing on a business that she's actually been working on for quite some time. We'll always consider her a friend of the firm and wish her nothing but luck on all of her future endeavors. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, 
This podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice. 